and my father was a sailor before getting married to my mom and uh, he was the only survivor of a shipwreck. You become a tattooer after 10 years you are tattooing, before you're an apprentice. I think this is very important. If you want to do Japanese tattoo, you must go to Japan and work. There is no other way. We have to judge the work. We have to say if this is good or not, you know. Kretz, thank you so much for making time for this. Thank you for having me. We kind of just spoke about you recently. Uh, yeah? Yeah, because I interviewed last Claudia de Sabe in Aachen. Mm, ciao, then, Claudia. You know, she was talking about how she started, la, 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 and then she mentioned you, of course. Of so, course. We know each other since a very long time. And how long have you been tattooing? Oh, so 2023 was my 30th uh, year. Really? 3-0. Yeah, oh, dude. It was my 20th. <laughs> And what did uh, what did you do? Uh, I did a bottle of sake oh, nice. to celebrate. Like uh, I have a, a small production, so as it was 1993, I did a 93 bottle of sake. So you and the sake. Uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine in Italy, he is the only one that produces sake with Italian rice. So and he's in he's a, like a beer master. But the University of Pavia asked him to produce uh, uh, sake with Carnaroli rice. You know, in Italy, Northern Italy, we have a huge uh, culture of rice that maybe people know about pasta, but uh, pasta for Northern uh, Italians is something very recent. Let's say from the 50s, 60s, we started to eat pasta. But before we were a culture of rice. And uh, Carnaroli is a rice uh, produced in the in this area called uh, Oltre Po Pavese, so around Pavia. And uh, the university wanted to um, celebrate this rice, and so they they are they were looking for a, a craftsman that can use it to make sake, and he did. Then I find the product, I tried it, and I I loved it. And then I contacted him to propose him. Uh, to make uh, this uh, special bottle for my 30th uh, birthday. And he, yeah, he was very fascinated. And actually we met, we became friends, by the way. And uh, and now we go there to visit him because he's in Feltre. Feltre is uh, nearby Belluno, so just one hour drive from where I live. What, what did you learn about sake by doing this? Did you learn something that you didn't know? I, so... I've learned that as everything in Japan, uh, even sake is the same kind of process. Like everything very uh, has to be very precise. Everything has to be very um, uh, studied before. You don't, uh, you cannot uh, improvise. You say that you cannot, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, make it happen without knowing that uh, skillfully and very. Mm, meticulously so same as tattooing same as theater same as martial arts same as many many things that has to do with japan you know when we spoke about uh, mm, japanese kitchen for example the culinary way uh, so 
uh, it seems Japanese seems more like a patisserie than a chef, you know? Like patisserie is very precise. Everything has to be very, uh, the weight of the ingredients, etc. Like pastry, and, like sweet stuff. Yeah, like pastry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To make a cake is not like to make a sauce for the pasta, no? where you can add a bit of yours. If you don't uh, follow the ingredients, you fuck it up. So same with sake, same with Japanese tattooing. <laughs> I love that people will be able to understand that it's two Italians talking about this because apart yeah. from the accent, like for 10 minutes, we talked about pasta. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Of course, of represent. course. And uh, let me give a little bit of, of, of context to people that might not know you from, from other countries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You have been doing for 30 years. Uh, in Italy, you are... Uh, at least this is my opinion, right? You are a reference in what is Japanese tattooing because you've been doing it for a long time with a, a commitment that is definitely above average. So you really went for it. You dedicated yourself to study, like you said. So not likely just copying this and that, right? So like, for example, we were mentioning about Claudia de Sabe, which talked about you in the way that you introduced her, you know, to certain things. So in Italy, you, you are a reference in that sense. Now, uh, I would like to ask you first, how did you start tattooing, right? Just a brief, you know, how you got into it and how you ended up or you got drawn into, I wouldn't say Japanese tattooing, because I think for what I know you, you are more about Japanese culture mm -hmm. in different angles, not just tattooing, right? So how did you get drawn into that? So basically I started, I started with when I started tattooing. So I come from a very working class family. And my father was a sailor before getting married to my mom. And uh, he was the only survivor of a shipwreck. Uh, and uh, he had two tattoos that he got uh, uh, while he was uh, a sailor. Uh, he got these tattoos in India, I bet, in the 60s or end of the 50s. So since when I was born, I see tattoos. And uh, I always mm, look at my body and think there was something missing. I wanted to have tattoos and I have an image since when I was a kid that I wanted to have a dragon on my right shoulder. I don't know why, but this is like something in my, probably in my DNA. And uh, when I got around the six or seven, I took some needles and poke five dots on my forearm, like the, you know, the dice number five. So, because I saw this tattoo all around my neighbor, you know, and I didn't know the meaning of this. In Italy, this is a very criminal, uh, meaningful tattoo because... Something uh, like, like alone in, in within four walls or something like this, right? Mm, when you go to jail. This is one of the meaning. Yeah, yeah, we could say that. Like uh, the, the four dots around the, draw the, the, the walls of the jail and the, the dot in the middle, it's you. Like it's a person... I, I, in jail this is one of the meaning there is other meanings but so uh, were a this kid is one with, of... a, with a gangster tattoo <laughs> yeah i was a kid with a gangster tattoo that i have to cover from my mom because i don't want her to see that but it was on the forearm so i find out that getting tattoo your forearm is not so smart if you want to hide it you know but uh, this was my first experience and i was in primary school and then by the age of 13, 14, like an inmate came out from jail. And uh, like, I know this guy because of, uh, I was a fisherman as well when I was a kid. And I was like professional. I mean, 
illegally professional fisherman because nice. I, my my family need money so i was living in an island of venice a very in a, in the small village of alberoni alberoni is like a 500 people village and he's um, you know in venice we have three openings to the sea venice is all surrounded by a lagoon and there are three openings to the sea it's called bocca di porto and the, the bocca di porto of malamocco is an opening to the adriatic sea where so we have a little beach and there is uh, some um, uh, uh, some uh, rocks around there. So I was spare fishing uh, for to get some money to bring to the family, etc. And uh, many people have tattoos because uh, because many people go to jail and got tattooed in jail. So I I see tattoos and I I was very curious all the time, and I. I noticed that if you see one tattoo, for example, on a foot of somebody dressed, then when they get, uh, you know, ready for swimming, then they, you can see more tattoos. You know? And this always fascinated me. And so I was asking, I was a little kid, but I asked to these lads, hey, oh, where you get tattooed? I want to get tattooed too. And he said, yeah, you got to go to jail if you want to get it. And <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to go to jail, you know. And so they explained me, one of these guys actually explained me how to make uh, a rotary machine with uh, a Walkman motor. You know, the, the motor was uh, inside uh, the most precious thing that I own. The Walkman, for the people of my generation, I was born in 1976, was the way to abstract yourself from society listening to music, <laughs> you know. And so you have this small cassette that you turn back and forth. And there is a rotary motor that moves the cassette. So what you got to do is to break the, the Walkman, extract the motor, and then with the old stuff that you can find uh, in, a, in a school uh, bag, you can build a tattoo machine. Actually, it was a, a shirt button, uh, a big pen, and uh, um, as a needle bar, I used uh, a, a little uh, L piece of bar, like uh, from the bicycles. And then you tie the needle with thread and super glue. And this was my first tattoo machine. And I tattooed myself a lot with this and, machine. And I guess your mom was incrementally getting happier and happier. Yeah, she was uh, definitely so Ecstatic. happy about me. I mean, this was the... Uh, the last problem she has with me. I was a fucking mess. Like, uh, I was violent kid. So, because I move uh, a lot since when I was a kid. So, we move uh, village from village. And everywhere, I was the new guy. So, when you're new, sometimes people uh, just want to be a bit bully with you. And I have no uh, tolerance for bullies. So, I started uh, um, martial arts to defend myself from the <laughs> constant uh, uh, fights Rasmus. that I got. Because this area, people always think that uh, to Venice like a beautiful place. And it is. I love Venice and I think it's a wonderful and unique city. But it's very fucking violent. Like culture in Venice is a violent culture. Like... Mm, I would say like hooligans kind of violence, okay? So just you come from next neighborhood, you my enemy. Or you, you think you're better than the others, bam, and it's a fight. So Dual we grew stuff. up, uh, yeah, like we grew up in this. I think Florence is quite yeah. similar. 
Yeah, we have the cultural story, you know, now it's famous because yeah, of yeah, Netflix, yeah. but you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, violent culture, violence is, uh, I think, something that comes, uh, I mean, we, we're seeing it every day now with wars going on, but violence is part of humans, you know, so the, the only way I find that to um, kind of give a direction to my violence was through uh, martial art first and then through drawing. So all all that I was drawing as a kid because I started drawing very young like uh, by the age that I poked my first tattoo I was already drawing and I was drawing uh, uh, demons, monsters all things that enrage and uh, all things that has to do with uh, yeah, with a violent uh, representation by, uh, representation of violence I would say yeah like expression yeah huh? mm the expression of violence. I, I really like that. And, um, but actually I'm a very peaceful person. Like I, I'm not looking for a fight, you know, but I don't step back when it comes to me, you know, I want to be respected. So this was the way I, I see it. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and so I did this little tattoo machine and then my friends start to see me with some scars, tattooed, etc., And they wanted, uh, some uh, as well so I tattooed some of my friends in my room uh, you know with uh, the ink we use was pelican ink because uh, yeah this is what uh, this inmate told me <laughs> you better <laughs> use china ink pelican is the best and he was right actually and uh, and then we use it uh, to well sterilize this is a big word, but with a flame. So we flame uh, the needles, etc. And sometimes the needles just get fucked because of the flame. So we have to rebuild uh, the needles on the um, on the bicycle uh, spoke. <laughs> That's awesome. Anywhere, what? <laughs> How old were you? Now I'm 47. No, but when you were doing this? Ah, uh, between 12 and 14. Awesome. Uh, let, let's rewind for one second because I'm sure people at some point said what so your dad you told me the story when I came to see mm. you some years ago your dad was the only survivor of a shipwreck mm, yeah so I mean that says a lot about about you I guess you know DNA wise but mm. you know I, like briefly how did that happen so basically my father decided uh, he wanted to step back from uh uh, international navigation. So he was going uh, to Japan, to China, to America, often and often. He has no family at the time except uh, her, his mother and the brothers and sisters. So he said, ah, I want to be quiet. I want to do navigation just in Italy. And he find uh, um, this uh, company that hired him because my father has no school. Like uh, he was a children of war. He was born in 1941, so he go to school just because at school they give you food. That was the only reason. So he has no uh, degrees of all kind. And of course, in the ship, uh, he has the lowest ranking. Uh, uh, like he was a waiter for uh, the other uh, shipmates. And so basically, uh, he find that the same job instead of international, in Italy, going from uh, uh, Marghera, the harbor uh, of Venice, to uh, Sardinia. Pick up uh, Blenda. Blenda is a material, is a raw material that 
gives you the chance to make uh, ion and other uh, product. So it's something you, you take, you bring it to a factory, the factory will transform it. And it's Giza is the name in Italian. I don't know. But anyway, they, they, they charge this stuff and they come back. So the, his first navigation to Sardinia was in January 1971. So they get there. And then there was a big storm while they were filling up the ship. The ship was just uh, filled up uh, half of it, not the full uh, charge, because they have to go back. And the captain wanted to go back because, you know, it was this time of the year. So you want to be with the family and all that shit. And so basically, even if outside there was a very rough condition, the captain chose to go. And, you know, when the captain says, we go, you go. And after three hours of navigation out of uh, Porto Tolle in Sardinia, uh, the, the, the ship uh, was, wasn't going forward. So the captain made the second mistake. So he said, okay, we go back to the harbor. But, you know, turning the ship back with uh, like waves uh, up to 15 meters, this you shouldn't do. Because when they turn, the ship just goes sideways and uh, and shit happens. My father, luckily, he served dinner to the other shipmates and then he got to bed because he was tired. He got woken up by the chef. Hey, oh, God, we have to run away because water is, uh, is going everywhere. And he thought it was a joke at the beginning, you know. So he jumped in the sea. It was January and they lost the safety boats. Uh, because of the sideways of the ship and rough conditions. So they lost the safety boat. They jumped in the water. It was 20 people. And they start to swim. But, uh, you know, after three hours navigation, you, you're very far from uh, the, the shores. So he lost one after another. All the, the guys that started swimming with him because everybody wanted to stop. Ah, it's too cold. I have cramps and this and that. And, uh, and he keep on going. And actually, this is like a magic story. So he was screaming, Mom, Mom, please save me. Because he was fucking in panic, of course. And my grandma that I never met in my life, she wake up back at home in Venice. And she says, something has happened to Hugo. Something has happened to my son. And he was like the favorite son of... <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that, but now they are yeah. all dead. So I can say that. So he was the favorite son. They have a very strong bond. And she wake up in the night, waking up everybody because she felt something was happening. So basically he swim uh, to the shores of um, uh, um, Sardinia, where uh, the, the boat started, and actually is in Carloforte Island, in the small shore of Caposandalo, which is a very small and rocky shore. Very difficult to approach, even swimming, because the, the stones are fucking spikes. It looks like gothic stones, okay? And uh, so he waited until the first, because the, the ship goes down nine o'clock uh, in the evening. So it was pitch dark, uh, the darkest of nights. He didn't swim in a specific direction. He just followed the waves. Because if you don't follow the waves, you, you're no, going to be tired. You're not, you're not going to make it. 
And so basically he arrived to the shores, waited for the sunrise in the water. This is January, okay. And, uh, and then when he saw the first sunrise, he see a way where he can uh, climb and he climbed and uh, go up. But then he stayed three days around this spot because it's a very isolated place where nobody lives. And uh, in the end, he finds some hunters that was uh, like heating up a fire and uh, he saw the smoke. So he walked in this direction. It was raining still. And he was naked and uh, starving and everything. But he knocked at the door and uh, an old man opened because his son was hunting around. So basically the old man, of course, at that time there was no, no mobile phone. So they have to wait there for uh, the son to come. And then uh, they give the alarm because the, the, the ship was in a radio silence since when they departed. So nobody knew that the ship was... Uh, was sinking 300 meters under the sea level. So he survived. That's crazy. And I, I'm here. <laughs> That's crazy. Did you, did, you, did you think sometimes, you know, when, when you know, you had problems and stuff or things were getting rough and you were like, wait a second, you know, my dad survived that shit. I can yeah. do this. Yeah, this is like my life lesson for everything. Whatever happens, I break bones in the forest by myself, uh, I did a lot of stupid things, but uh, yeah, I was always. <laughs> I'm always like, yeah, if you can survive a shipwreck, I mean, there's something. Mm. And and so, when did you meet? You know, along the way, when did you meet Japan? Like, when did you? So, when did that come into your life? Martial arts was a big. Uh, so I started doing judo around six or seven years old, and then I switched to karate directly after one or two years that I was doing judo. So, and like the, the dojo where I was going was doing Shotokan karate, which in the eighties in Italy was the, was Shotokan or Wadoryu. And the, the teachers there, the sensei was very strict and very into Japanese uh, training. So it was a full contact karate. So you go back home with bruises and uh, like even if you are a kid. And uh, the training was very strict. It was almost military. And uh, actually, I needed this discipline because of um, I was very like a fucking mess, you know. And uh, I needed uh, somebody that put me on a, uh, on a binary and make me go straight. And I did. Because, you know, I was very bad. Uh, uh, like, I'm a good st student, but I hate authority. And so it was very difficult for me to manage uh, the authority at school. I hated my teachers, most of them. If I see they were not enough uh, smart, then I, I really bullied them. I wasn't bullying my, uh, how you say that, my uh, classmates. I was very bullying with the teachers. I'm sorry, but this was my the way I grew up. And then, so with karate, I come down. I became more um, sensible. Then another tragedy happens because my best friend that was way older than me, uh, he was 17. I was 12. I remember. 
One night, without uh, telling nobody, he attacked one guy that was in the same gym with us uh, and they were playing music together. He attacked him in the night with an ash and uh, chopped him in parts. With an axe? Yeah, with an axe. And the the guy didn't die, but uh, of course he got uh, destroyed. And I remember this was a big shock for me. It was a very violent thing, but... uh, uh, few days after he did this, everybody, of course, in the village hated him. There was big news on the magazine. Um, but, but I go to visit him at home. He was arrested at home. And uh, I remember this uh, wasn't the best choice. Not like uh, for my relationship with him, it was a good thing, you know, because uh, I think everybody can make mistakes. This was a, a very bad mistake, but... Uh, um, is he was still my friend, you know? So I go there and um, and I really see uh, what like the mind can play on you, the, what kind of tricks the mind can play on you. Because this discussion they have was probably for a very stupid uh, like music. They were playing in a band together. Now I I don't even remember it completely, but they were playing in a band together. And uh, I think uh, uh, the other guys of the band want to kick out uh, this friend of mine, Dennis, that attacked uh, the other guy. And uh, and so he find out uh, and uh, he wants a revenge, you know, and, and this shit happened. So it was a very small island, you know, so you take the bus every day with these two guys in the bus, you know, and one is completely fucked up in the face. He has missing fingers because of this attack, etc. And, and you are the friend of the attempted killer, you know. Uh, so, you know, this was very tough. And I, I changed a lot uh, uh, with this experience as well, I think. And then uh, after that, like mm, the prices, uh, you know, gentrification in Venice is happening since the 80s, no? Because in the 80s, uh, Italy has uh, Craxi as prime minister, I remember. And he changed, the, we have Equocanone before. So the, um, the loan for the, if you rent a house, uh, the, the price you pay was uh, matching uh, your income. Okay, so they decided this is not going to happen anymore. And so, of course, the rentals uh, skyrocket in Lido, where I was living, because it's a beautiful island, there's a beach and everything. So we have to move to the ghetto and uh, go to Mestre in the very, very like poor uh, neighborhood that was, it was called P.E.E.P., is a, like Progetto Edilizio Economico Publico means uh, um, economic, it's like a welfare a low, house. Okay. low income kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was like uh, plenty of junkies, uh, all kind of uh, uh, low class criminality and all that shit. And uh, yeah, I grew up uh, from 14 up, I grew up there. Where did you go from there? Like when did you start? Because I guess, I guess, were you still in school? I was going to school and I was studying uh, languages. I didn't study art, not even one. I mean, I studied art by myself, but at school I was studying uh, um, for speaking French, Spanish, uh, and English that I I, I speak. Because my mother, she's Spanish, by the way. So uh, one part of my culture comes from Southern Spain, flamenco, and all that shit. And um, uh, so... 
I decided to go deeper in uh, because I like uh, to speak uh, languages. Like the more the more than I can, I'm still trying to study Japanese, for example, with a very low success. But I wanted to to learn it one day, and uh, yeah, so I studied. Um, in the for five years and i finished the the scuole superiori it's like uh, it's something in between high, high school and university kind of and thing. college yeah, yeah college. it's like a, a way in between but i and then i subscribed myself to college actually i wanted to study art in the college but then i go there and they wanted me to give an examination uh, to see if I was uh, able to to study art, and I say, okay, so let me see what I have to. What is the test uh, talking about? And the test was not talking about art; it was just talking about English. Uh, if you can do math, if you can mm-hmm. do all the things that I studied all my life, and I say, yeah, look, I, I already I have a fucking diploma that tells you that I studied this. So. If you want me to draw for you, no problem. If you want me to uh, give an examination for art, no problem. But I'm not going to make an examination that I just did. So it was like, fuck the system, because I was very, you know, I was a skinhead, (laughs) punk rocker. So fuck you, you know, this is like so hypocritical. I don't want to deal with that. So I didn't go there. And I subscribed to philosophy. I studied six months uh, philosophy, and then one day I had an argument with a teacher, like uh, this guy. That's not like you. Start, uh, yeah, it's like fuck yeah. I That's had like bad you. experiences. <laughs> so I, I go. I love philosophy as well, you know. So I was uh, I was uh, at this class with this very important teacher, and I was very happy to be there. And the guy at one point he make a joke about gays. And at that time, there was not all this politically correct thing. You know, nobody gives a fuck about gays. Actually, everybody called them faggot at that time. And uh, there, it wasn't a problem. For me, it was a problem because uh, being already part of the tattoo world, you know, one of the uh, biggest tattooers in England of the era was uh, Mr. Sebastian. He was a tattooer and a piercer, and he was an hardcore leather gay, you know. So tattooing in general was a place where you meet uh, all kinds of freaks at that time. And in between freaks, uh, uh, sexual orientation was very, there was a variety of it, you know, transsexual people, gay people, lesbians, all these um, kind of people was part of our culture. And uh, there was no discrimination because we were all discriminated already because we were tattooed, you know. So we have a common ground uh, uh, to be discriminated, let's say. And uh, and then uh, when he make this joke, uh, then I raise my hand and say, yo, I pay taxes for this university to come here and learn. If I have to listen to your cheap uh, uh, humor about gays, I can go to the bar in my neighborhood. They are much better as uh, comedians, you know. And the guy turned like red in the face, you know, and say, yeah, but uh, I did. I say nothing uh, bad and this and that. Nobody defended me. And uh, I was like, yeah, okay, you say nothing bad, but I bet here there's plenty of gays that are are not stepping out and uh, you are like uh, uh, building their um, uh, their, uh, desire to hide 
much higher, you know, because you are a fucking teacher. You're sitting there. You're talking to kids like us. I'm like uh, 19 years old and listening to you saying that. What do you think? If I like uh, uh, to hang out with other men, uh, do you think I will do it in uh, public after your declaration? And the guy was like uh, hating me. So we argued and I win. Like he was a fucking philosopher, you know. So I go back home. I was already tattooing. I was tattooing in my flat and I was uh, tattooing uh, like a punk rocker. So in squats around Europe and uh, some shop, I was going to Modena to a friend of mine called Gallo. A very nice guy. He was playing in a band, a hardcore band called Biolmings. They were straight age. And actually their singer Melo, a good friend that I keep in my heart that is gone a few years ago. He was gay and he declared he was gay at every gig, you know. So that was, uh, you know, the, the point where we were, you know. It was not like today that it, it, if you, nobody would risk to say that, you know. But uh, at that time, uh, I was very, was very offended by this teacher. So I dropped the university <laughs> straight away. <laughs> and what do you do then? So I was supposed to go to the military. And, uh, you know, I'm a, like, I'm a peaceful person, as I told you. I can defend myself, but I would never uh, fight for my country with weapons because I think this is just stupid. And all wars uh, are uh, stupid. And there is no reason to embrace a fucking uh, uh, gun and shoot somebody else that is probably more similar to you than what you think. And uh, so I didn't want to go, want to be part of the military. And they give you an alternative in Italy to give a public service for that. And I say, no, you fuck off. Because I'm not supposed, because I don't want to be a military to give a fucking public service. If I want to give a public service, I do it because I want to. But I want to be a tattooer now. So um, I go and uh, I speak my mind to the doctors uh, of the, <laughs> the army. And they give me uh, an article that is called Article 41. That means you are fucking crazy. And so, and they tell me, you will see, you will never have a driving license. And I say, oh, <laughs> then I would ride a bicycle, daddy. And the guy was like, pissed off, but he has to shut the fuck up. And uh, yeah, I did. I skipped the military and, uh, and I keep on tattooing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was, I already opened, at this point, I already opened my shop with uh, Gaza. There was a guy... Um, that we started tattooing and opening the shop together. Like he w- he started a few years before me, probably. And uh, he was older than me because he was 1969. He was very fucking talented, man. If you see his tattoos back in the 90s, the like the American guys, I remember Shotzi Gorman t- coming in Bologna to a convention where me and Gaz was tattooing with Gallo, the guy from Biolmins. That at that time he has a shop called Manao Tupapao in Modena. We have the booth together and Shotzi Gorman stopped by because he see my sleeve. This one. Oh, mm. And uh, like this deep blue that I like. Uh, now I'm not very happy about that because it's new school, super colorful shit. But at for that time, he was incredible. You know, that you have like uh, no people working like that, you know. So it was... Uh, very, very interesting. Then the guy is uh, uh, hardcore, like I am, you know, so 
he was very difficult. Like he cannot match into staying in a shop, etc. So we divided. But I still see him sometime, and we have a, a drink together. Um, and this is where Steffi, my actual wife, she came in as a, before as a shop manager. Then she became my apprentice, and then we we did all our way together. Yeah, because you've been you've been together for a long time, but also you shared everything, mm-hmm. right? Like when oh, I think yeah. of you or her, you kind of like you know piece of the same of the same puzzle. Yeah, we do. Like we started, uh, so we play in a band together. We had an oi band back in the nineties that was called the Raptors, and she played the bass uh, in the band, and I I was singing, and. Um, so this is the bird of my mom that <laughs> you can, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, it's going to fuck the, the no, no, that's all right. That's all right. It's all right. So, look, look, I interviewed, I think it's episode number three or something. I interviewed Rambo, okay. you know, Rambo from Manchester with the tattoo museum. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him. Sure. And he's like, let's go to my pub. So, I had to make it <laughs> pop. So you hear the guy screaming in the kitchen, whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, not bad, not bad. Yeah. Anyway, this is called Garibaldi, this guy. He was the bird of my dad. My dad passed away uh, three years ago now. So uh, we still have a Garibaldi. We feel like he's a, he's a spirit. Nice. So anyway, um, I was telling you about the Steffi. Yeah, we are together since 27 years. We play in a band together. We work in a shop together. I do some art performance uh, together with Steffi where we paint huge uh, uh, paintings uh, with um, these guys, Mune Daiko from Pesaro, playing the drum, the Japanese uh, drum, Taiko. And uh, yeah, we basically live together 24 hours a day, travel in Japan together, hang out with Yakuza together. Yeah, it's uh, a good uh, life companionship. (laughs) Sure path. And where did you go to Japan first? So uh, first, uh, the Japan come to me because some Japanese tattooers saw my stuff in France at uh, Sasha's place. You know, you remember Sasha from Primitive Abstract, uh, this guy that organized uh, the Strasbourg Tattoo Convention, okay, where we yeah, yeah, yeah. actually yeah. met, yeah. he's yeah, uh, yeah. one of my best friends. Uh, aside of tattooing, we're like friends, friends, okay? And um, we hang out together. We have the same mentality in tattooing. We didn't like the... Even at that time, we didn't like the media of tattooing too much, so we were more considered ourselves underground, even in in the... 90s beginning of 2000 also and so also sasha's not gonna if he has something to say he's not gonna keep it no you know, he's, he's not gonna keep it he's gonna yeah. tell you you a fucking idiot straight yeah, in your yeah, face, yeah, yeah, yeah. even if he knows you for two seconds so no filter people so these japanese guys got tattooed by sasha uh, in japan because sasha goes to japan i think in 98 or something like that and so one of these guys was apprenticed at that time and got tattooed by him. Then they come over to Europe to a convention and uh, they recognize Sasha. So they talk and Sasha says, yeah, come on, come to my place. We can hang out all together. And they did. So they go there and he has all my flash Japanese stuff hanging on the walls. When they saw that, they, they expressed the, like, ah, we want to we wanna meet this guy. Who's this guy? Like, uh, he's doing Japanese stuff. Like, looks, uh, he has been to Japan, blah, blah, blah. And I never did. And, uh, and so Sasha called me and I said, yeah, okay, the weekend is near. Yeah, take the car and uh, come to visit you guys. So we go there 
we spent a super nice weekend where we got wasted, like drinking, all, yeah, all the big party. And uh, we bond, like we sleep in the same room. It was very like uh, squat kind of things, you know, sleeping on the floor. Uh, they were punk rockers from Japan, like into a traditional Japanese family, but uh, punk rocker spirit, you know? And so I tell them, yeah, how long are you staying in Europe? And they stay for like three more weeks. So I say, yeah, you got to come to visit Venice. You can come and stay in my place. And the three brothers come and stay at my place. At that time was 35 meter square house like a small house, fourth floor with no elevator, a dog and two cats. But for them, it was okay. Actually, one of their, uh, the apprentice of Shiryu, because this was the Ryu family, Horyu, Shiryu, and Shin Ryu. And then uh, Yushi, that now has a shop in uh, Oyabun Tattoo in uh, uh, San Diego, and he's from Korea. He was apprentice of Shiryu. And uh, and so he came over as well. He, we go to pick him up at the airport uh, and we spend a week together. And it was super nice because I take them to all our places, etc. So they keep inviting me over, keep inviting me over. And in January, the same year, because this was summertime still, in January, the same year, 2003, I go to... No, I was two years after because I had to collect the money for the ticket at that time. The ticket was so expensive. It was 2,500,000 lira, which for the euro is 1,250, but like it's yeah, more like, like 2,500. Yeah. When you look at the value, it's kind of like 2,500 mm. euros today. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And so I collect the money and I go, uh, I go in January. Actually, it was very difficult to get there because no, almost lost the plane, a disaster. But then I arrived there. They lost my luggage with all the equipment. Because, of course, I go there for tattooing, not for uh, being a visitor, you know. I think this is very important. If you want to do Japanese tattoo, you must go to Japan and work. There is no other way. If you want to be authentic in what you do, this is uh, like um, there is no other ways. Because you to understand Japanese tattooing, you have to work in a fucking Japanese tattoo studio, private studio and street shop. I think this is uh, fundamental because it changes um, a lot my way of seeing tattoos, uh, the way I was seeing that before. And so basically I arrived in Niigata, uh, which is the city that, um, so I arrived in Tokyo. Shiryu come to pick me up and we drove to Niigata. It's like a five hours drive. And then I stay in Niigata for 10 days. And then I have another connection that uh, I build up by mail, not email, real mail, like uh, handwritten. And he, this guy was called Oregon. Oregon from Fukuoka. He was way older than me because at that time he was already 43. I was probably, yeah, now I cannot remember, but 26, 20 something. And uh, so basically... Um, uh, we, I have this connection with him uh, and uh, he was inviting me over as well. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's go. And Shiryu was a little uh, uh, afraid because this guy, Yorigan, was like a tough guy. Okay. But, you know, I told him, yeah, with me, he was very nice. So don't worry. Yeah, but I come with you just to make sure everything is all right. And so we go there together, driving all the way from Niigata to Fukuoka, which is like uh, to cross all Italy. So more than uh, 1,500 Ks. 
Wow. And we stop by many places. You know, we stop in um, in, in uh, Nishinomiya, which is nearby Kobe, where another brother has a, a small private shop. So we hang out there. I go to visit at that time a Three Tides tattoo that was just opened, but it was basically a shop uh, for Americans working in uh, in Japan. So there was Chris Trevino working there. There was uh, um, people doing Biomac, etc. So it was completely different shop. And uh, but the owner was the same guy Masa, I think. And uh, was it still Masa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it? Okay. I remember. And then in Tokyo, I stopped and work at Dragon Needle. That was uh, with uh, uh, Akatsuki Tattooer. She is a lady. She is a fucking good tattooer, man. Like, uh, she is so interesting the way she, she does it. And yeah, I think uh, now she has a shop. It's called Bunny Tattoo. Yes, Bunny Tattoo. And it's nearby Tokyo. But at that time, she was working in the street shop called uh, Dragon Needle, where actually Paul Booth has worked as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like a small street shop. And um, yeah, I met a lot of people there too. And there was this uh, rival shop in the same neighborhood. There was Shimokitazawa in Tokyo. Was like uh, Shimokitazawa was very youngster place now has become a very fashion place. And uh, that time was very dirty and rough, but very nice. You, you know, how dirty and rough you can be in Japan. But, uh, and there was this other shop uh, called Kambada. And uh, this, the owner was uh, like a guy that know how to organize events and stuff like that. It was full body tattooed by Philip Liu. And the guy working there, Carlos, was a very nice guy, half Brazilian, half Japanese. So we hang out together a lot and uh, we, we have wonderful nights in Tokyo. And then I arrived to Fukuoka. Fukuoka was a very different situation. The guy was a biker. Zipangu is like a biker gang of Japan. Uh, yeah, more like uh, on the Yakuza side, let's say. But even in Niigata, there was a lot of that. Okay. And then you arrived there. How was it? It was uh, like uh, you descend uh, from the spaceship in Mars for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, everything was so different. You know, we at that time in Italy, we um, there was no information about Japan. Um, like people was, uh, yeah, Japan, the samurai, this and that. But that was it. The only person that I talk about Japan with was Fercioni that uh, was there. Uh, with uh, Nakano, with Oriyoshi III, uh, and they were good friends, etc. But these were only tattoo tales. And Sasha, of course, my friend, uh, and it was everything, man, from the food, from uh, the smell, the, the education, everything was unbelievably new and fantastic for me. There was no internet at that time. I mean, there was the internet, but not comparable. Slow connection, you know. So you don't see videos of influencers going there and spoiling everything for you. So everything you do was a new discovery, you know. And I was so starving to see new things that I was 24 hours going around without a map because you don't have Google at that time. Mm. So... Even in Niigata, you risk to get lost because, you know, there is no sign on the streets and this and that. So I remember I draw my hand 
all the turns that I was doing. First right, second left. Yeah, because otherwise you, you get lost in a city you don't know and you don't speak the language. I remember black guys crossing me. There was one in Igata, one black guy that we crossed almost uh, once a week. And when he see me, he was like, hey, brother. You know, because <laughs> that was the situation. We were foreigners, like all of us. White to black was the same. And there was almost no expat at that time. There was mm-hmm. like very in Niigata. Maybe Tokyo more, of course, but Niigata was nobody. So everywhere I go, people was very surprised. They asked me a bunch of questions and I was covered in tattoos, you know. So they see tattoos. They were like shocked by my tattoos in colors and this and that. It was very, yeah, it was amazing. And so like, if, if I can say, right, tell me if, I, if I'm wrong, but... The way I see your, and it's not only my opinion, also colleagues, you know, your tattooing is more Japanese for being a European than many other things you see. Often you see, you see Japanese all over the place, right? But you can tell when there is a more of American Japanese, uh, yours is, a, is more Japanese, you know, in the look, in the, in the you know, in, in the texture, in the line work, in the designs. What do you think... Uh, contributed to make that happen to build that i guess mm. what you've been exposed to but you know well thank you for the the compliment so uh what i think is that i never wanted to look like a european doing a, a japanese tattooing the fact that i was doing something different was not uh, making anybody happy like everybody telling me ah this is even in japan because uh Japanese people at that time was looking at Philip and Mick. Okay, so when I go there, so when they see my, I was looking at Oriuno, I was looking at Orihide from Yokosuka, I was looking at Orihide from Gifu City. This was my, the people that inspired me because uh, for me, one of the best book of Japanese tattooing is the book Rancho. Rancho by Masato Sudo. And uh, this is a very beautiful photographic book where you have work by um, Oriyoshi III, uh, Oriyoshi II, and other tattooers. And the photography of Masato Sudo really makes a difference and makes a very nice... Uh, uh, he shows you the spirit of Japanese tattooing. And this is what I wanted, you know. It's not about the technique or the colors you use and all, all this... Uh, uh, things it's about the spirit and the um, and what you uh, you express with what you do you know and what i my research is uh, okay i want to go to japan i want to do it the japanese way and then when i have the japanese way inside of me then i can work on my own style you know and this i think you become a tattooer after 10 years you are tattooing before you're an apprentice. I have no teacher, but I consider myself an apprentice for the first 10 years of my career. After 10 years, then you decide what you want to do, you know, because I've tried it all. I did the graffiti style inspired. I did realistic. I did the new school. I did a lot of traditional, classic um, European and American tattoos. So, and tribals and all, all kinds of styles. And then, Japanese was always what, for me, is tattooing, you know, for my personal taste. 
So nobody was doing the kind of Japanese tattoo that I wanted on my body, except this guy in Genova, a good friend of mine, Pinker Tattoo. And Pinker, uh, he has the taste, he has the look, and he has the fucking balls to make it straight like Japanese style. Unfortunately, he'd never been to Japan. Otherwise, um, he would have been... I think one of the most uh, influential Japanese tattoo artists in Europe. Anyway, um, uh, I go to Genova, got tattooed by Pinker, and definitely, then this was 1999, I got my back piece by him. And um, of course, we were big time friends. So I go back and forth, uh, and uh, we talk a lot, long nights just talking about tattoos and this and that. And but my dream to go to Japan was uh, because I wanted I wanted to meet uh, you know Oriyoshi Third was very important for the Western world but I knew there was not only Oriyoshi Third you know there was much more people there there was Oritoshi for example there was Horiwaka and Orihide was like my big uh, inspiration because I found a book in France it was called Peau de Brocard. And this book have pictures from the original book of K. Bunsha, stolen pictures from the original book of K. Bunsha on the work of uh, Yokosuka Orihide. Yokosuka Orihide was for a long time uh, the president of uh, uh, the, the Tokyo Choyukai. So he was very important Japanese tattooer. He started tattooing in 46. Uh, his style for me was what I was looking for, you know? And uh, I wanted to, uh, to have him not as a teacher, because I think so many Westerners say, ah, I, I have been taught by a, ja a Japanese tattooer. Okay, so you live there for three years in a row, waking up every day in the shop, uh, cleaning, making the sumi and this and that. Because if you did that, congratulations, like uh, Alex Ranke did, you know. But if you don't, then this is not a Japanese apprenticeship. Japanese apprenticeship is very strict and uh, it has to be done this way because this is the way you learn uh, the Japanese way, you know. And uh, but you can have a mentor there. No, for me, for example, Orihide was a mentor, but I got there that was already tattooing and I was already tattooing in Japan because I met him, I think, in 2005 the first time. So it was already two years. I've been in two years, I've, I was there four times. You see the one in the book, you showed me when I was at your shop, a book with mm -hmm. pictures where you were, I think maybe black and white pictures where you were in Japan uh, and you were showing, was it him? Uh, probably. I did a book of his uh, drawing with Miki Vialetto mm -hmm. and uh, the, it's 120 pages of flash of his and uh, like... Uh, I don't know how to put it, but like in Japan, he was the king of tattooers, you know, still alive because uh, everybody knows him and everybody respects him uh, for what he did. Uh, and, you know, he was on the telly in Japan. Uh, he was in the movies with his tattoos. Like he was big, famous, but he never got out from Japan. Never in his life. But he worked all over the place in Japan. So... Um, yeah, it was a very charismatic person and uh, like a very rare, uh, a very rare uh, quality he has, but very few Japanese has. He was very straightforward. He don't hide. 
If you don't like something, he tells you. So I bring in my portfolio and he says, oh, this is okay, this is okay, this is shit. Okay? And this is how I want to be treated, you know? Because uh, once I was talking with Ichibei about that, and I think uh, he pointed out very well. He said, you know, in tattooing, we, sh- we need to be treated like chefs, you know? But in tattooing, nobody does. So if you go to a restaurant and you cook and the, the, the meal is shit, people are going to tell you, you know what? This is shit. You take it back and fuck you. In tattooing, you know, as you are an artist, nobody will tell you, you know what? You're fucking unable. This, you, you should completely start uh, again, redraw it and make it better, you know? And uh, I think tattooing is much more important than uh, a wrong meal, you know, because you're going to have a, a new meal for dinner. So, uh, but tattooing, you're going to have this tattoo for all your life. And this is number one important. You know, client is uh, uh, is number one important. His skin is uh, only one time can be touched uh, properly. Yes, you can cover up, but uh, mm, it's not the same as you know. So this is, uh, we must be much more humble as tattooers. I think tattooers now and back then, uh, there is a common thing, you know, between generation. Everybody's a spoiled kid. Everybody thinks he's an artist and nobody can uh, can tell them, you know what, this tattoo sucks. You cannot say that. This is the answer. Yes, I can say that, you know. Once I was talking with um, some other uh, colleagues and they say, yeah, but you know, for example, if we make, um, uh, in Italy, there is a law they, they want to do for tattooing. Uh, it's many times they're talking about. It. And they say, yeah, but we can judge how hygienically you behave, how you behave uh, uh, like business-wise, but we cannot judge the work. Who says that? We have to judge the work. We have to say if this is good or not, you know. And when they tell me, who are you to say if this is a good work or a bad work? I'm a fucking tattooer since 30 years. You're tattooing from 20 years. You can look at my work and tell me if it's good or not. And I will, I will take it, you know. In my studio, we always do that. Like me and Steffi, we show each other our drawings, our flash. And like uh, we, we point the mistakes. We don't point how good it is. How, wow, you make it nice. Yeah, this sometimes is important. But, you know, I don't need to be um, uh, reassured about what I do. I need to be criticized to grow better, you know. So this is how you, you become a tattooer. When your client showed the tattoo you just didn't say, man, I'm not happy with that. And so what are you going to do? You're going to cry, go in a corner. So this is tattooing, you know, when you face... Uh, you got to be sure when you face a client, you got to be sure you make this a two is the best thing you can do for the life of this person. And he's going to be happy with that, you know, for all life. Because if one day he's coming back to your door and say, ah, look at the shit you did, you know, you might not feel responsible. And I get it. There's people like that. I would feel responsible, you know, and I would feel miserable for that. So yeah. that's very important, you know. When is the last time that she told you this is shit? Who? Steffi? Yeah. Oh, probably two days ago. <laughs> it's every time, man. Like, uh, it, is, it will never end. And I'm the same. Like, we don't say it's shit. I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, you know, I'm making it bigger than it is. But we point the mistakes, you know. Yeah, here you should be more like that. Here you should do it 
finer. Here you need less contrast or, you know, like the, um, criticizing with no, you know, mm, there is no will to harm you. It's just, uh, uh, this means I love you and I want uh, to to see you in your best uh, position possible, you know? Mm. So for me, to cre- she was my my apprentice. Actually, she she has she is the best uh, person I teach tattooing to. You know, I teach to many people, and uh, but she is uh, the 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 one that really uh, get it the Japanese way. You know, like so she's very grateful and everything, and I'm very grateful with my apprentice as well. You know, because it's uh, an exchange we do. That's a good and, thing. Um, it's a give and take, of course. And it's a very difficult give and take. Because, uh, yeah, let me talk briefly about apprenticeship. Apprenticeship uh, is the best way to learn tattooing. No question on that. But it's very complex because it's a relationship with another person. Okay? Uh, for me, every relationship I get in would be a love relationship, a friend relationship, a business relationship. What I ask to myself is one thing, is what I can do for this person to make his or her life better. Can I do something or not? Because if I cannot do, if I can do nothing for this person, then I don't even step into the relationship, you know? But if I can make your life better, then why not, you know, because making your life better will make my life better as well. This is the way I see relationship and business relationship in general. So after many uh, trials and errors, <laughs> I now I understand how, because it's very difficult to be a teacher, I now I understand how you have to be the right teacher, you know. And if the apprentice cannot get your critics, uh, your critics, then it's a stop. Like you cannot be an apprentice. You cannot learn from me, and uh, I don't want to teach you. Because if you make it difficult for me to criticize you, then you are like uh, it's because you don't want to hear the truth. You know, you want to hear just uh, shenanigans. Yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's just ego talking. <clears throat> yeah, it's just ego talking. It's like, it, it's kind of, I mean, you know this better than many people, right? It's like martial arts, meaning we mm-hmm. have this time together, right? Mm-hmm. I would rather you tell me what I'm doing right, so I go home and I'm still the same and my ego mm-hmm. is bigger, or I prefer you to tell me what I'm doing wrong, so then I can improve that and I go home and I'm 10% better. You know what I mean? But you need to take, you need to keep your ego on the check for that because mm-hmm. that's, that's a problem, right? You know, the beauty in martial arts, if is that if you don't want to hear when they criticize you, you get then you get a punch in your face. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Because uh, I think we grow up when we are uncomfortable. You know, Like there's this, uh, this story about the lobster. No? The lobster at one point become uncomfortable in the shell. And uh, so the lobster changes shell and become, grow bigger you know, and stronger. And then again and again and again. Crabs are the same. So um, Western society is a society where we are treated like prince and princesses and everybody don't have to offend you and everything has to be uh, 
this is a lot of the American way I see, a, a certain part of American way, you know. And uh, mm, we are spoiled kids, grown up in a peaceful world, because imagine if you are my age and you grew up in Gaza, if you're still alive, uh, like you are a lucky one, but you have seen tons of disaster around you, you know? So I feel I'm very lucky. I was born in Europe. Uh, I have the freedom to become a tattooer, even in the difficulties of my life that everybody has their own difficulties. But, you know, and, and what was my strong point is that my family always criticized me. They, when I go to school, for example, and I come back with a good uh, note, great, uh, you know, great, yeah. a good grade, uh, and my mother said, yeah, you did your job. It's nothing special. It's every day you should be like that, you know? And people say, ah, but this is bad. You know, they should give you satisfaction. Yeah, but, you know, the, the good grade is a, like it's a satisfaction because you've learned something, not because the others will tell you, oh, bravo, you know? This is uh, not so important uh, to get uh, cheered by the others, to get uh, mm, supported, you know. You have to learn to support yourself, you know, and then you will learn to, to walk by yourself for real, you know. Because actually the worst judge that I face is myself because I really destroy my work when I see it. And I don't give a fuck, even if I draw a full back piece. And uh, today I think it's perfect. What I normally do is I draw back piece, then I put it in a drawer. Actually, now in the iPad, I close the, the, <laughs> uh, the file. And then look at it after two weeks. I normally, 98% of the time, I would say, I normally erase this path and go and rework it for a, a new and better uh, result because uh, if you are in evolution after two weeks you already see the mistakes you didn't see two weeks before and this means you're still evolving if what you did is perfect after two weeks i would start to be scared and think about retirement <laughs> yeah, <there's> no, no <laughs> like on the on this note you know one thing i always like of you is i see you as a you know you are traditional as it can get in certain things but you're also very progressive on others. So you're kind of like progressive traditional. What I mean is, I remember you being one of the first drawing digitally when there were no iPads, like drawing mm -hmm. on a graphic thing and la, la, la. So you always been open, or at least that's what I perceive, you know, to progress, to change, and not for any reason, but being very pragmatic. So how do you see this? Like, you know, now there is a lot of talk about different, you know, different tools, different things, different platforms. <clears throat> how, how do you see this? For me, uh, there is uh, one motto in tattooing that really got me from the first time I read it. And it's as ancient as time, as modern as tomorrow. And this is the rule of my life. Because it's so important to be over time with the, the, the design you make, with the image you create, because tattoos has to be over time, over your age, over... So if I make a tattoo that looks good on you when you're 40 or when you're 20, but then when you're 60, it looks like shit, then I, I'm not a good tattooer. If I make a, you know, a tattoo that is trendy today, but in two years, everybody looking at it say, oh, you remember when we all got that shit? So this is not a good tattoo, you know. 
a tattoo has to be over time. Can be classic or not classic because I see, for example, many uh, neo tribalism that I think will look good in fifty years. Okay, I don't see um, like uh, this uh, very fine line uh, uh, fashion victim tattoos that is gonna look nice in. Uh, it's not gonna age well. Okay, because um, tattooing is over time. You know, people got uh, tattooed when they are 20, uh, probably between the 20 and the 30s is when they get mostly tattooed. Most of the people then you have, everybody's different, but I tattooed people of 70, 80 years old, but uh, the majority of clients uh, start from 20 to 40, let's say, these 20 years. And they're going to uh, wear these tattoos for their whole life. So you are going to see them when they're 80 with tattoos. So this is very important that the image is out of time. To be out of time, you have to use uh, the, the, the tools of the past and the tools of the future, you know? When I show the iPad to Orihide, he was so taken by that, you know, that he was, wow, man, if I just had that back in the days, mm -hmm. my life would have changed, you know? And he showed me, for example, because everybody has, he, he find a paper that was not paper, it was plastic actually. And he said, you see this? You, he took his painting and blah, make a ball, you know, and open it. And there was no, no tears, nothing. Oh, this is, I can hang it on the wall and we can smoke and it doesn't become yellow. This is the best, you know? And uh, he was using Posca to color it because Posca was better than brush, you know, because the colors are stronger, etc. So uh, evolution is... Uh, to be open to to modern things is very important. When I, for example, once I, I show one of my digital painting to a guy and uh, he say, oh, wow, this is very nice. How you did it? And I say, yeah, I did it with uh, the Cintiq because at that time was this, um, you use Photoshop and a Cintiq. There was no iPad at that time. And this guy said, yeah, so the computer did it. You didn't do it. Okay, so here is the pen. Here is the computer. Tell the computer to do it for you. And you can't because actually, as you learn the ink flow in the paper, same thing is to learn the digital ink on, on the screen. Is less magic? Can be. Is less, uh, um, uh, less artistical for you? Can be. But tattoos for me is important when they are in the skin. You know, the way you get to this image I don't give a fuck. As long as you did the best work you can do, I don't care what you did before, you know? And uh, many people complaining uh, around uh, uh, new technology is because they are lazy motherfuckers. They don't want to learn, you know? Or they find <laughs> excuses. This is what every time we talk, uh, you know? Because I do them all. I paint like in the 1,700 uh, in Japan. I draw with pencil and uh, I paint on huge paper. I use a spray cans and I use digital. So I do them all. So I don't accept uh, to be criticized like, ah, oh, no, because you use the iPod, then you lose the technique of brush. No, you don't lose it. You just, uh, you know, make, you learn something more, you know, and to learn something more is never wrong, I think. And so if you don't want to learn because you think in your case it's going to ruin your originality, etc., then it's your choice, you know. But uh, 
those, for example, uh, they don't want to upgrade their tools, they're going to end up biting the dust of those that born with these technologies. You know, I will make an example. Today, you start working with coil machines, soldering your needles and building your own power supply, would you? Then you are five, six years back of a guy that buy a fucking pen and put cartridge on them because you waste five years in the, in a process that you don't really need anymore, okay? So I'm glad I did it. I gla I'm glad I can still solder needles and I think it's very important uh, anyway to learn to solder a needle to choose the right cartridge, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because this is the, the reality for me. But then, you know, I tattoo bodysuit almost every day and I know what is pain management and I know the thing that makes me get there the quickest and the most efficiently for me is my choice because I don't want to hurt people. You know, I don't like the painful part of tattooing. Yeah. And uh, Kretz, what's the best advice you ever received? Oh, by Orihide, I, uh, I got a lot of advices, man. Like, uh, but uh, mm, probably is uh, uh, the, uh, like you have no master, then you you choose to be your own master. Then do it the way you fucking want it, and don't listen to to people telling you ah you should take it more this example that example. You choose the examples you want to take. You choose. You don't want to use the iPad. You don't. You want to use it. You do. You don't have to uh, to say uh, to accomplish what others people think. You know, for me. Uh, very important advice uh, I get, uh, but this is not by tattooers. Huh? This is by, uh, it's by a guru actually. He's called Sadhguru and he's a guru that I really like when he talks. And what he said, it's not an advice he directed to me, no? but he's uh, mm, an advice he gave to everybody. And he's like, uh, your opinion or your anger or your uh, whatever it is, yours, doesn't affect me. You know, because me is me. I have the privilege to be uh, angry, to be to make this to myself. You know, but I don't give anybody this privilege. You know, with your behavior, you cannot make me angry. With your behavior, you cannot uh, change my day or uh, change my path uh, or you know, because this is a privilege only I have. You know, it's only on me this privilege. And this is very important to, because I listen to everybody, but I don't let their words uh, ruin my my brain, my behaviors, etc. So I get influenced, but not uh, so deep. Okay. Nice. And um, one thing that you know, if you go to Japan, you absolutely must see or do. What would you say? Mm. Your friend is going tomorrow. Be like. Dude, go there, do this. Right. Go to Nikko. Yeah. Go to the sanctuary of the Tokugawa for sure. This is like the basic uh, go there. And um, I think uh, go to the mountains and have a nice hike by yourself. And uh, if possible, go to the onsen or to a sento. Nice. In between the mountains, even better. There's some free spots that you don't get there by train. Unfortunately, I normally drove there and uh, because I rented a van and sleep in the van around Japan. And so you can go in some mountains place where you have this 
tiny onsen where two, three people stays inside, male and female. Looks like nobody's there. So you go in, get naked, talk, and you're watching the forest, beautiful. And then at one point, another person come in. And you don't know this person, but you start talking because you're both naked in the water. And, you know, and, uh, and it's a good uh, way to meet people in a very uh, weird environment. And, of course, they see your full body tattooed. So mm, this is a good uh, starting point for uh, a nice conversation, I think. Nice. Chris, thank you so much. First of all, to share stuff that you learned over a long time. And you had to figure it out. And then you figure it out and then you just give it to us. So this is, I, I like this, you know, this thing of sharing and, and, you know, thank you for sharing all this because people, I'm sure, especially young people will, will, uh, will find it valuable. And the idea of this program, of this show, whatever, is also like to influence somehow or inspire, especially the younger people They might say, I'll go this way and that way, you know, and listening from people like you then they can understand better, perhaps, oh, maybe this path is might be better for me than the other and for the community, because in the end, it's all about, you know, also contributing, right? Absolutely. Where, where, uh, where people can find you and what plans you got next if you get something happening at some point, all of that. So people can find me at Adrenaline in Marghera, Venice, and uh, better to contact me uh, via WhatsApp. My number is on Instagram, so that's the way you contact me. And um, so uh, the future for me is a bit complicated now because uh, I'm taking care of the family, like uh, my mom, she's old, etc. So I'm, I'm in this now. I'm 100% of my energy is there. And... Uh, I have no plans uh, for going to tattoo convention, etc. But probably I have plans. Uh, I have a, a YouTube channel where I explain uh, a lot of things about in Italian. Unfortunately for you guys, for the moment, uh, so only be, the Italian. There might be subtitles, maybe. There might be, might know, be. Maybe. That's... I can't remember, but mm. but uh, um, I'm talking with the guy that you introduced me uh, just to make. Uh, um, uh, a series of video about tattooing, technical, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I'm, I'm, uh, I was a teacher at the health department school for the last tw- twelve or thirteen years, and I really like the part of teaching, uh, but this is only the hygienical part. Now I want to take uh, a different step because, as I was telling you before, it's very difficult. Uh, to have a lot of apprenticeships. I like to have one person per time and uh, dedicate them time. But this is uh, nowadays the request for learning is so much that I think uh, e-learning is the way in 2023. This is the way I learn a lot of things as well. For example, if I want to learn uh, how a chef makes something, <laughs> I, I watch on YouTube. So probably I'm going to go this direction and uh, yeah, and uh, offer uh, my experience because what I want is that the job I did till now don't get wasted when I die. You know, I want this thing to to pass it on. They did it in Japan for 200 years and uh, thankfully we see how good is Japanese uh, tattooing, uh, you know, the, the, the skills, etc. that from one person to another has been passed, uh, just make it better, you know? And uh, so I think I'm just a small part of this evolution. So next one will start from when I drop it and take it, uh, we don't know where. And this is the most interesting thing. 
Nice, nice. I can't wait. We are going to put all the contacts in the in the description so that people... Thank you. When this stuff will be out, of course, you're going to put it on Instagram and stuff like that. Chris. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope to see you soon. It's been, it's been oh, a while. Hope so. Hope so. You all come right. to visit here whenever you want. <laughs> nice. I was talking I'm not moving. because I have a friend from... He's from... He lives here. He's Italian, but he's from uh, Yezolo. Yeah. And he's an apprentice, a very nice guy, very disciplined. You would like him because he used to compete and all of that with other stuff. So he's very disciplined. So I said, dude, let's go visit Crest. He was like, oh my God, mm. that would be a dream. You know, so one day we might pop up at your shop and uh, we go. Yeah, I whenever. Them, I told him about that place we went for. for I still remember that shit, man. Like we went for uh, fish in a place oh, near yeah. the shop. And we had like that fish. cold fish <laughs> dinner. That was insane. I still dream about this. So I said, yeah, maybe it still exists. You know, hopefully we're lucky. Yeah, it still exists, but there's better places now. Okay. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, come uh, come by anytime. One thing I, I didn't say and I wanted to say absolutely mm-hmm. is stop caring about tattoo competition. This is like something that I teach to everybody. Tattoo competition is stupid because this is really not important for your client and for yourself to have a price to show in the shop this is not important because if people likes you because you have a price they don't like you because they see your work and really like it okay because somebody else tells them you're good so this is not what you want so don't care about and if you come to my shop and you want to work there don't tell me you win prices because this is a very (laughs) good a very (laughs) bad starting point okay but the price you have to get is your client happy about what you did. This is the best price you can have. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect ending. Kretz, thank you so much. And uh, Thank you, Sam. Yeah, we'll be in touch, yeah? Yeah, whenever you want. Awesome. Ciao, bello. Oh.